yeah, what an experience it is to see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that, that most of you at least have some type of uh, experience or circumstance in which you've maybe known a family before they were married or knew a family as they were getting married and then watched them have kids and then watched those kids grow and mature and um, just go about you know, life. And what an honor it is to see kids and to see families grow over time and to see what God um, does in their hearts and to see what God does in their lives. And um, yeah, I honestly, that was not a canned response as they were standing up here. I, it was the first time that I realized at some point or another, a couple of those families are in our small group and we had been praying that they would conceive for a long time and, and others we were meeting with and just praying for and encouraging that the Lord would bless them with uh, children of their own and then to see all of them stand up and be um, witness to, the, uh, to a testimony of God's, um, God's power. Um, the fact that God is the author of life. Um, it's a tremendous honor. Uh, well, we are back in the building. I haven't preached from this stage in um, like 26 weeks. It's been 26 weeks. Since we've uh, since we've been in this room on a normal Sunday, twenty this is the twenty seventh week I should say, but what a, what a ride um, it has been. We're gonna forge on um, uh, because the word of God does not change, which means that it still has a it still has something to say to us and to speak into our lives even this morning. Um, we're gonna be in Matthew. Chapter 5, verses 33-37. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you have one on your phone, feel free to close out Facebook and open up your Bible. I'm a realist. Come on, I know these things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33-37. through 37. I'm reading out of the New International Version, the NIV, this morning. This is the, 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 the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And what we've been doing in the last few weeks is we've uh, just been talking about, we've been uh, praying over uh, uh, just what, what, it, what it's like to live a Jesus-centered ethic of life. Meaning, like, okay, there is definitively a way in which the world feels is like normal to live. And then there is definitively a way in which Jesus says, we live much differently as followers of Him. And what are some of the differences there? And especially, how do we, how do we appropriate and apply those to our lives especially, especially in a season such as we're in, not even really talking about COVID, but as I've said every week in this series, did you know that there's an election coming up? And it seems as though elections, uh, especially this one, more so than I've ever experienced in my lifetime, really um, define a lot of polarization of people. 
right? And we and people tend to take very extreme stances and positions. And not that extreme stances or positions are inherently wrong or evil or bad or anything like that. But what we find is that uh, Jesus often encourages us to take to take. He encourages us to take an extremely polarizing opposite position from the rest of the conversation that's going around, going on, right? Uh, so, uh, for instance, last week we talked about um, the the condition of our own hearts as it pertains to anger, and the instance that Jesus used was uh, about murder and about reconciliation and about forgiveness in the midst of maybe relationships that have gone astray. This week, um, we're going to look at something that may seem a, just a tad confusing as to why Jesus would include it and why it is important to Jesus. And so that's what I hope to talk a little bit about this morning. Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath." but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything else comes from the evil one. Now, um, this is a, uh, a section of Scripture that Jesus talks about a word, well, he calls it oaths. And it really is, if you want to kind of break it down so in ways that we can maybe understand it or apply it a little bit better, he's talking, Jesus is talking about keeping your word. Right? When you, when you say something that you follow through with it or when you... Uh, when you commit to doing something, you do it. And maybe um, beyond just the topic of keeping your word, we could place, place this in the more broad category of the importance of truthfulness. What does it mean to be, what does it mean to be truthful when we make commitments in life? Now, Kind of my immediate question when I approached this portion of Scripture was why in a long section of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew where this kind of seems to be like Jesus' magnum opus section of moral, ethical, spiritual teaching, would He include something like this? Would He include a section on keeping your oaths or keeping your word or... Like we said, broadly, truthfulness. There are a couple inferences we can make about this. The first is that, well, if Jesus is including a section on what we could describe as truthfulness, then that means truthfulness must be important to Him. Being a, being a truthful person, allowing only truth to come out, must be important to Jesus. And if it is important to Jesus, then by default, of course, it is important to God the Father. It is important to the Holy Spirit. And if it's important to Jesus, it's important to God, then by 
um, necessary default as followers of Jesus Christ. That means that truthfulness is important to who? Us. Means that it must be something that we consider to be an important aspect, not just of our like relational life, but our spiritual life, our relationship with God the Father. Of course, it doesn't. We see this like from early on in Scripture, right? Exodus chapter twenty, uh, verse sixteen, uh, included in the Ten Commandments is this little verse about uh, where it's phrased, Thou shalt not bear false testimony against thy neighbor. And, and we've, we place that in the category of truthfulness as well. Like, hey, if you're speaking about your neighbor, if you're speaking about something, it better not be false, right? Do not bear, do not bear a false testimony. So it, it becomes solidified there early in that Scripture, or early in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, but also we have, if you remember from um, our series in Proverbs that we talked about, oh, I don't know, this was, seems like six years ago, it was probably six months ago, I don't remember when it was, but uh, we talked about the importance of personal integrity in the things that we do, in the things that we say, how we act. One of the scriptures that we looked at was Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, that described the way that God the Father feels about truthfulness. He says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, that the Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who are truthful. That, that lying lips or the lack of truthfulness is, is detesting, detestable to the Lord. But that those who speak in, those who speak in truth act, actually like they, they bring delight to God. Right, the question may be, and it's not really the point of our message this morning, the question may be, why is truthfulness so important to God? Maybe, maybe the best way to deal with that is to look at the opposite of truthfulness, or, which is deceit. Why is deceit so detestable to God? Why is deceit something so um, um, antagonistic to God? We, we believe, and the Scriptures proclaim time and time and time and time and time again that God is a God of truth. That God doesn't just say truthful things. That He doesn't just do truthful things. But that, but that truth is wrapped up in the very character and nature of who He is. That, that truth is solidified and planted like, like strong roots in His, in his Word. That, that truth is a possession of God's character and nature. And so that when, when, when deceit is on our lips, when truthfulness is void from our words, from our actions, from what we, what we do, we strike not just at a a rule that God puts up and says, hey, don't do this. We strike at the very nature of who God is. So why would Jesus include 
this idea of truthfulness or keeping your word in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, because truthfulness is important to him. It's important to God. It's wrapped up in his character, in the nature of who he is. But there are also other things here. Um, and these have to do really with the context of where we find Jesus' teaching and the whole story of how he continues to interact in his ministry with those around him. Something that's increasingly uncovered in the ministry of Jesus that, that Jesus just really does not like at all in any way, shape, or form is religious hypocrisy. If you look at um, later in the Gospels and even into the, the coming sections where Jesus talks about prayer or basically any negative interaction that he has with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who are in religious leadership at the time. His problem with them is that they, they have completely misunderstood the spirit of God's law. right? And so they follow to the letter and to the T what the law says, but their hearts, he says, are so far from, uh, from the spirit of God that that religious hypocrisy is like a person who is a whitewashed tomb, Jesus says. Where on the outside, I'm whitewashed, right? I have, I have all of the appearances of being clean and pure and perfect and getting things right, but on the inside, right, I'm a tomb. I am dead. There is nothing but dry bones. There is no actual life living within me. And Jesus consistently strikes against religious hypocrisy, especially in those who would, um, who would lead others. What was happening here in uh, the context of what Jesus was saying is that oftentimes religious leaders would use these super impressive what they would call or what they would consider as oaths before a religious assembly and they became a form of theater. It, was a, it became a kind of a grand way of declaring the great and righteous like direction and trajectory of your actions. So as a religious leader, um, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a high priest, they would make some, some, some huge, very, um, very sophisticated oath before, before a large assembly of God. Father in heaven, right? I swear on the city of Jerusalem, right? Using the examples from Jesus. Yeah. I swear by, by all of heaven and earth, I declare by oath and covenant this promise on my entire life. You know, like I swear on my grandma's grave type of thing, right? And they would do this before a whole assembly of people and, and the people would, would look at this religious leader, this person who was standing before God in this tremendous place of leadership making this very sophisticated, impassioned plea or oath before God. And they would say, wow! This guy, 
super spiritual. Super connected to God. Like he's just got all of his ducks in a row, right? All of his I's dotted. All of his T's crossed. Look at, look, at the, look at the oaths that he's making to the Lord. Look at the promises that he's making to God. Look at the proclamations about his own spiritual life that he's proclaiming before this entire assembly. It, was, it became a form of theater to make these grand promises and covenants and oath before an assembly so that they knew how serious you were about your spiritual life and the spiritual decisions that you make. See, but the reality is the thing about theater is that it only exists for the purpose of the audience. That the spiritual proclamations that are made, that the lofty and important and, and um, really really big words, the, 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 spiritual, the spiritual grandstanding did, did nothing for the people that were actually hearing it, but it was only and solely and fully for the pride of the person making it. You see, and this, this kind of thing bugged Jesus to no end. In fact, in a couple weeks we're going to talk about prayer where Jesus just railed against people. Um, not, not, that made, not that prayed in public, right? Because I'd be in big trouble, right? But he railed against people who would use really big, sophisticated words and, and platform types of prayers to make people believe that they were somehow the most important person on display in that moment and in prayer rather than just simply an impassioned plea to reach the heart of God, to making, making themselves the center of attention rather than making their heavenly Father the center of attention. And that was the heart of the hypocrisy that Jesus was always dealing with was a group of religious leaders who wanted to draw disciples to themselves rather than point people to the Father. And so what Jesus did, in kind of like this scorched earth policy, is he was like, okay, no oaths at all. It is... It is not necessary for you and I as a person to stand before God and to make these grand covenants swearing on this and swearing on that and promising this and promising that because at the end of the day, Jesus said, you, you and I, we don't have the ability to, to turn a single hair on our head gray or blonde. Believe me, I would have done it if you could have. <laughs> we don't have the, like, yet swearing on this and swearing on that, it may sound good, it may make you feel good, it may take you to a higher place spiritually in someone else's mind, but it gets you no closer 
to the heart of God at all. So what is the what is the Jesus ethic in all of this? What is the what is the nugget that you grab out and that you carry with you that we can and should and will you know apply going forward especially into this current season that we're in that is followers of Jesus. Okay? As followers of Jesus, you and I we do not do things so that others will see and notice what we're doing. The, the, purpose of, the purpose of why we worship, the purpose of why we serve, the purpose of why we give, the purpose of why we pray, the purpose of why we make um, covenants or promises or commitments, the the purpose by which we have a disciplined spiritual life is not so that others will see them, even though they may, right? But the, the purpose, we do them because they are the things that bring us closer to the heart of God, both in spiritual relationship, but also practice. Now, this will be this will come even more clear and even more pronounced in the next coming weeks. Because you're gonna see Jesus say things in the Sermon on the Mount like, do not let when you give, give in secret. Right? Do not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Well, well, geez, Jesus, like how, how am I gonna do that? Someone Someone saw me put something in the offering bucket, right? Or they, they hand me a, a giving uh, receipt at the end of the year for my taxes so they know that I gave. That like, Do I forfeit my spiritual gift because someone saw what I was doing? Well, of course not, right? Because what Jesus does there, as He often does, because it's a function of effective teaching, is He, he uses this thing called hyperbole, Right? exaggeration to, to punctuate a specific point. And what he says here is he says, look, in terms of giving, when you, when you give, right, you, you don't give for the purpose of everyone else around you seeing how awesome you are because you gave. You, you give because it's an extension of uh, like the generosity that is welling up in you towards the Lord because of what He's done in your life, right? So you give as a function of your desire to grow closer to the heart of God through an act of generosity. But if you pick it up and be like, hey, everyone, right here, just want everyone to see what I'm doing. Just going to drop this in there and probably do it again next week as well. And I'll, I actually, I do it every week. Um, so, yeah, I guess you could say I'm kind of a big deal. Um, right? That's the idea, right? That's the spirit that Jesus is saying, like, I could spit that out of my mouth. Jesus says it's, it's like, it is gross tasting to the heart of God. Because every time, listen, 
Every time you and I seek to glorify ourselves, we steal glory from the one it really belongs to. Every time we take a step up the ladder, we usually have to step on someone's head to get there. I preached a sermon, I don't know, a couple years back. Um, By God's grace, it still gets referenced once in a while. But it was this point. It was the point of like in the economy of God, in like the Jesus economy, um, if you want to be first in line, you should actually what? Be last. Like the way to be first is not to like... um, you know, look out for number one. Look out for me. Or like, do everything that I can to get to the top. If you want to be first, be a servant to all, Jesus says. If you want to be exalted, then you should be what? You should humble yourself. So the economy of Jesus is kind of flipped up on its head, right? Be first, you should be last. If you want to be glorified or exalted, you should excel in acts of humility. And, and this is the Jesus ethic that, we're, that we are, that we are uh, pursuing here when it comes to oaths. Now, it's kind of weird that for whatever contextual reason, this was, um, the, the act of making grand pronouncements and oaths was the context in which Jesus came out to say, hey, look, it's not about you. It's not about your grand spiritual proclamations. It's about drawing glory to the Father, pointing glory to Him. And as followers of Jesus, right, you and I should be racing to the back of the line. Like running as quick as we can to get to the back. Because by getting to the back, right, that proverbial action of serving by allowing others ahead, right? It glorifies the Father because it expresses care and love for those that we sacrifice position for so that they may go forward. I, I just I, I wonder now in September of 2020, two months out from an election, in the midst of a global pandemic that has politics and medicine and government and schools and personal things all weaved in, and it kind of becomes, it's kind of, I don't know about you, but it's kind of become confusing to separate everything and just kind of see everything for what it really is. Everything is kind of all tied up and twisted in life right now, it seems. Everything's just in a big knot. And there's not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of clarity in terms of like the actual circumstantial things that we see ahead of us. And I just wonder how you and I, as followers of Jesus, can maybe take some of these things that we've talked about the last three weeks, apply them in our own lives so that, so that we may express a a different trajectory or narrative of living than the rest of the world around us 
is living. To be distinctly different in the environments that we find ourselves by being, like Jesus said, that, that salt that gives a distinctive flavor to a conversation or to be that light that brings, um, that lamp that brings light in the midst of a significant um, corner of darkness, maybe at work or in our family or on, holy cow, social media. Where, 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 where maybe we can be the people who are always racing to the back of the line when everyone else is clamoring to get to the front so that they can prove to everyone else how right they are. How important their position is. How grand their idea or their solution is. Maybe there is a different way. And maybe the reason that we are not experiencing a whole lot of um, peace, tranquility, and clarity in life right now is because not enough people have chosen the different way. But we've got about 80 or so people. If you're listening, Governor Cuomo, we've only got 80 or so people in this room right now. Maybe that wasn't funny. Um, it's kind of not funny, honestly, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Um, but, but we've got 80 or so people in this room right now. I don't know how many watching or listening online or whatever, but I just I, I want to imagine for a moment um, the environments, the families, the conversations, the places of work that could be dramatically changed even in the next two months if we chose differently. If we just chose differently how we were going to speak to each other, if we chose differently how, like, whether or not we were going to make sure that we won the argument no matter what it meant for the relationship. Because so much, um, so much could be done to the glory of God if we chose a different way. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this um, this morning because there is also this component of oaths, right? Of keeping your word, of making promises or covenants, that is maybe um, even that is extraordinarily applicable, right? Um, because there is this really important component about truthfulness and integrity and keeping your word that is all wrapped up and wrapped around um, the importance of following through on the things that you say that you'll do. And this is also, I believe, like in keeping with aspects of the integrity of God, the character of God, the truthfulness of God, right, is when you say that you're going to do something that you, unless there is a extraordinary um, exception that you follow through on the things that you do. Now, how many of you um, have had an instance, right, where you committed to do something? You, uh, you committed to help someone move. We used this example a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about helping someone move. You remember that example? Shake your head if you remember that example, right? 
Yeah, I ate crow on that one because it was like 15 minutes after service, I got helped, I got asked to help someone to move. Uh, and I did, right, because I love them. And I was, I, was, I was joyful to race to the back of the line on that one. But we'll just use the, we'll, we'll use this as an example again. How many of you have ever, like, volunteered to help someone to move or done something? And like, oh yeah, that would be great. Could you come Saturday, 8, 8 a.m.? Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Got it. And then Friday night rolls around, you'll be like, oh my gosh, this week. I got so much to do. I really could just like stand to be at home, sleep in a little bit this morning. Like, ah, it's probably not a big deal if I don't go. Probably not a big deal if I don't do it. Now it may not be a big deal to the person that like had asked for your help, right? It may not actually like you might not tip the scales on whether or not the person gets moved, right? But is it really about that? Or is it or is it more about I, I, I said something, I committed to it, I, I don't have another extenuating circumstance other than I just don't want to do it. You know, obviously if you get sick or have something going on in your family, we're not talking about stuff like that. We're just talking about like I committed, but I didn't count the cost. Now I don't want to, so I'm just going to no-show. Or, hey man... Sorry, can't make it this morning. I've done it, right? I do it all the time. Commit to something on Monday that you think you're going to be gung-ho for on Saturday. And you get to Saturday and you're like, I, would, I hope I get sick so I don't have to go. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, so there are a few even portions of Scripture that encourage us to make wise, careful commitments because there is, uh, because keeping your word is important. So, for instance, Psalm chapter 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live? On your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Listen, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. He who does these things will never be shaken. So, to put that all together, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? The one who keeps his oaths even when it hurts. They, do, they who do these things will never be shaken. When we keep our oaths even though it may hurt, we... we um, we bring down the blessing of God into our lives. Psalm 89, verse 34. 
saying something similar here. Where King David says, I will not violate my covenant. I will not alter what my lips have uttered. I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie. What maybe most practical to me has been this one lately in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25. Proverbs 20, 25, it is a trap for a person to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider their vows. Like, if I, if I, have, if I have done, if I do anything in terms of like this type of scenario, it's like I'm, I personally am, am too quick to commit away my time without essentially counting the cost of what it's going to take, even if it's something small. And so then I put myself in a dilemma of whether or not I'm going to you know, like run myself ragged one more time, or if I'm going to keep my word or if I'm going to try and make, come up with some excuse to not go and therefore like, therefore like jeopardize a portion of my character or, or break my commitment that I've made to this, to this person. And, and what, what Scripture warns us of, or what Scripture, I should say, encourages us to do is instead, rather, um, take a little more time to make decisions that call for significant commitments from you. And significant commitment is relative to where you are in life and what day of the week it is <laughs> and what season of life that you are in. But the wisdom of the proverb 2025 that says it's a trap for someone to dedicate some, something rashly and only later to consider their vows is this. Make decisions that require significant portions of your time, make those things slowly and carefully. Because it is better, I believe what Scripture, the, the witness of Scripture would, 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 um, would support this, that it is better for you, for your soul, to say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do that, than to say, yeah, I'll be there and then back out because you simply just can't. I'm just done. I'm shot. I don't have anything left. I'm full. I'm tired. I'm at my wit's end. My wife is going to kill me. My kids miss me. All of that. It is, it is better for your soul to make those decisions carefully than... than, than risk the having to say to back out. So there's an aspect of oath-keeping that is absolutely practical and applicable to our lives that we should be making decisions slowly. Or not every decision has to be made slowly, but make it carefully, counting the cost 
so that you don't make some, don't do something rashly and then have to back out, jeopardizing the character of the person or, or yourself that said, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna I can't, I'm not gonna come because I don't want to, or I can't, or whatever." So. The Jesus, Jesus ethic, right, of keeping your oaths. Truthfulness is important to God. Anytime that we make more of ourselves, we make less of God. Two, okay. Three, make commitments slowly and carefully so that you don't rashly have to back out of a commitment that you have made and therefore jeopardize your integrity. Um, I'm going to pray us out here as the band comes up. Um, what, what I said last week is true again this week. Um, I don't, I, I cannot promise, I, I, I cannot promise you that next week everything will look exactly like it is this week. We're going to just kind of see how things work this week and we'll make adjustments um, if they we if they're working or not working next week, I have no many. I have no idea how many people are downstairs right now, if any. Um, I know that we'll have uh, this service was technically full on the sign up. Next service, I think we're about half full. So we'll gotta just balance or try and balance what we want to do there. Really encourage you to sign up online if you can. That really helps us out. Um, if you have any questions or want to talk through anything, um, feel free to come up and see Carol, not me. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You come see me afterwards. Um, Carol, I'm sure, is happy to help you in any way you can as well. Uh, come up and see me afterwards and we can um, work stuff out. Okay? Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning.